Travel to the heart of America and you'll find a conference rich in pageantry, passion, and poise. The Big 12, a name bigger than their size, boasted some of the nation's best offenses, the Heisman Trophy winner, some of the most sought-after coaches, and perhaps the most exciting conference games in college football last year. But that was then. What does the Conference of the Heartland have to bring in 2019? Sam Ellinger says, We're back! But for Texas to compete for college football's glory, they'll need to beef up the run game and rebuild that defense, especially in time to stop the potent offenses of the schools in Oklahoma. Speaking of Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley has produced back-to-back -back Heisman quarterbacks from back-to-back -back transfers, and now he gets yet another who hopes to keep putting the hurts on Sooner opponents. In Stillwater, the offense will rely on Chuba Hubbard and Tylon Smoochie Wallace to kiss the hardware in Dallas, but their front four on D will need to be at the forefront if the Cowboys want to poke at the top two. Things were pretty good in Ames, but Matt Campbell has made them mm-mm better. And Iowa State fans hope they can be just that this year as expectations are for the third-year coach to win the Cyclones' first ever Big 12 championship. TCU can always play D, but the O needs a QB, and they've got four to choose from. If someone can stabilize and get the ball to Rager and Barber, Frog fans will TCU in Dallas. At Baylor, it's time for Coach Matt to rule in Waco. And with a brewer of yards and points at quarterback, the green and gold will need to have a bear of a defense to claw their way to the top. There's a new sheriff in Lubbock, Texas, and all's well with new coach Matt Wells. And though it may take some time to bring his group of five success to the power five, perhaps he can crack the top five of the Big 12. Neil Brown left sweet home Alabama to come home to that country road in the Alleghenies and keep the Mountaineers in the thick of a conference race. With their roster and culture changing in Morgantown, what can NB do in WV? Kansas seemed miles away from a competitive football team, but Jayhawk fans are hoping less miles can close the gap and resurrect this program to bowl and even conference contention. Kansas State is without their family man, Bill Snyder, but they bring in a good stepdad in Chris Kleiman. K-State fans wonder how soon he can get his kids to play at a championship level. Will he be able to combine the toughness of the bison with the finesse of the Wildcats? Only time will tell. But we're glad you've made time to spend with us. So grab a bowl full of chips. It's 2019 Big 12 preview time, and it starts now. Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, we're champion pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Welcome back to A Bowl Full of Chips. This is part two of the Big 12 Preview 2019. So Bip and I spent part one looking at the top half of the Big 12. And Bip, we're going to give our listeners, uh, in case they have forgotten the order, we're going to run down who we see, each of us, one through five in the ten teams in the Big 12. So 
Myself, Chappie, I have Oklahoma at one, Texas at two, Iowa State three, TCU four, and Oklahoma State five. Bip, you want to give them yours? Yep, I have Oklahoma one, Iowa State two, Texas three, TCU four, and Oklahoma State five. So we agree on the five teams, just mishmash the order a little bit. So let's yep. get into the second half, which is not going to be that far of a drop-off from the top half, Bip, at least uh, as I see it, teams uh, maybe six and seven, but um, who do you start off with as your number six team in the Big 12 in 2019? Well, Chappie, at number six, I'm going to have the Baylor Bears. Um, so Baylor beat uh, the four Big 12 teams that they should have last year and lost to the five best. Uh, they lost to Texas and TCU by only seven points each, but they lost by 14 to Iowa State, 44 to West Virginia, and 33 to Oklahoma. So uh, they are one of the harder teams to predict this year for me, um, especially yeah. considering that they're still kind of reeling from the sanctions that were handed down from the previous regime. Uh, but I, I really like the uh, coaching staff under Matt Rule, and I think that he's got them definitely on the right track um, heading forward. So the Bears return a lot on offense. Charlie Brewer threw for over 3,000 yards and 19 touchdowns while completing 61.5% of his passes last year. He also threw nine picks, um, and he's got as much momentum, in my opinion, into 2019 as any quarterback in the Big 12. Um, yeah. I think that this could be a big year for him, and I think that with a, uh, a successful year under his belt from last year, I think he could potentially challenge for 3,500 um, or even more yards this year and improve that touchdown to interception ratio. He returned seven of his top eight receiving options with two of those being, uh, running backs, but, uh, his receivers, he returns Denzel Mims and Chris Platt each averaged over 14 yards per reception last year. And Mims had eight touchdowns. I like for him to have a bounce back year as he kind of took a back seat to Jalen Hurd last year, um, despite having a, a pretty successful 2016, um, or I'm sorry, 2017. I think that he returns to form more so this year, and I think that he could be uh, challenging for first team All Big 12 at receiver. They return their top three running backs, although John Lovett has moved to safety. Um, but their top two that they return that should stay on the offensive side of the ball, Jermichael Hasty and uh, Tristan Ebner, each averaged at least 5.3 yards per carry, and Ebner had 90 yards rushing, 109 re yards receiving, and two touchdowns in their bowl game um, this past year. So he looks to maybe be their most exciting running back and could have a really productive 2019 season. They return three starting offensive linemen, but they keep shuffling up um, who plays where to kind of find their best starting combo. So it's still a little bit of a work in progress. Um, so that could be one of the shaky things on the offense this year for the Bears. Defensively, they returned six starters, including seven of their top eight tacklers. Um, the strongest position group is at linebacker, where they return all three starters and have good depth with guys like Terrell Bernard, who's expected to compete for a starting job. So despite the fact that they return three starters, they have guys in the uh, uh, the as potential backups this year who are fighting for starting jobs. So real good depth to go along with that uh, talent that they have returning. The defensive line is led by James Lynch, who led the team last year with five and a half sacks. And he's joined in uh, at the other end spot by Texas A&M transfer James Lockhart. So they could be pretty um, dangerous off the edge this year. 
in the mm-hmm. middle, Rob Solin played as a true freshman and is joined by returning starter uh, Bravi and Roy. They return five of their top seven in the secondary and get Graylin Arnold back from uh, injury um, that he suffered that made him miss all of last year. And uh, they lose Vakedrick Vaughns, uh, who led the secondary in tackles last year, um, as well as Derek Thomas, who led the secondary in pass breakups. But I think this defense... Um, could be pretty solid for the Bears this year. I have them finishing seven and five overall, four and five in the conference, with their losses coming to Iowa State. Um, a little bit of a surprise losing at Kansas State, and then I have them also losing at Oklahoma State, and then their two home games against Oklahoma and Texas. I think the Bears continue to improve their win total by one game this year and are on the right track to challenge for the Big 12 in another season, but I think that they finish at number six this year, seven and five overall, four and five in the conference. I agree. I have them as the number six as well. I have them one game better than you, eight and four overall, five and four in the conference, and I'll break down the the, the wins and losses here in just a minute. But yeah, 65% of the offensive production returning from Baylor from last year. It starts with Charlie Brewer, uh, certainly going to be one of the Big 12 best and I wouldn't be surprised if you know he ends up being a first or second team all big 12 quarterback this year he's going to get the chance to put the ball and sling it around the yard I like their running backs especially Ebner you talked about his stats in the bowl game don't sleep on Abram Smith as well he was a guy who was thought of pretty highly in the spring last year suffered an injury and, and was said to have a, a bounce back offseason uh, you know this this past uh, go round so wide receivers are very deep I like Mims I like Platt they, they can stretch the yard on you. They can uh, you know take you vertically. I also think that their tight ends are going to be better than, than people expect, and their offensive line is going to be better than people expect as well. Getting Jake Frumorgan eligible, a transfer from Clemson. He spent two years there to join with guys like Sam Tecklenburg and Giancarlo Valentin. It's really going to be like they have four returning starting offensive linemen. They really can't get much worse. They were 112th in sacks allowed last year, 114th in tackles for loss allowed. So giving Brewer even more time and giving those running backs a little bit more space to work with, I think is going to pay big dividends. And I think we're going to see a huge jump in the offensive production this year. Defensively, uh, I have questions there, especially in the back end. I'm not sold on their secondary. And if you have a questionable or suspect secondary in the Big 12, good luck. Uh, don't don't expect to finish in the top four. And that's why I can't pull the trigger on Baylor being that, you know, quote unquote, surprise team who's going to make it out of the Big 12 this year and challenge for that title. Um, they were pretty good in third down conversions on offense. Defensively, they need to improve. They're in the bottom third in most categories, especially defensive yards per play, which means they give up big plays and explosive plays. They weren't very good in the turnover margin. They were not very good in the red zone, uh, defending the, their own goal line, scoring defense, pass efficiency defense. So you you name it, most relevant defensive categories, Baylor needed to be better. And that's really their big weakness for me this year. So um, I can't, you know, I agree with you. I think that they improve upon last year's seven to six record. I see them getting one more win. Um, and, and it comes in the regular season. So, you know, potentially a ninth win, in their bowl game, depending on who they draw. But I see them losing at home against Iowa State, on the road against Oklahoma State, at TCU, and then home against Texas. I do have them beating Oklahoma, and I mentioned that earlier in part one when we talked about the Sooners. I just think that um, 
you know, they get Oklahoma and Texas back to back. I see them beating one of those two teams. And I think that it just falls right for the bears and not so right for the Sooners. So that's going to be their marquee win. And I think that's going to be the signature win of the Matt rule era. I like the way that things are uh, trending for rule and, and Baylor could be a team to look out for in 2020 as well. But in 2019, I still see them at eight and four finishing sixth in a competitive big 12 bit. I like that Chappie. Um, and so I guess that brings us to our, our number seven team then. Who do you have uh, finishing seventh in the Big 12? Well, I'm going to stay in the Lone Star State, which is not hard to do in the Big 12, and I'm going to go with the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Now, first and foremost, I am a Matt Wells fan. I think that he has done great things at Utah State. I think that he is going to do good things at Texas Tech, and I've heard a lot of podcasters refer to some coaches as having a year zero instead of year one, which basically means that this is not an evaluation year for them. It's, it's his first year. Um, it's not going to be hard to transition from the Cliff Kingsbury personnel groupings and the offense because we know that Wells likes to open it up and score a lot of points on offense. I think that he's a lot more balanced than Kingsbury was. I, I think we're going to expect to see better run performance from the Red Raiders under Wells. So as we look at Texas Tech going into 2019, uh, it starts with their quarterback, as, as most teams do. Alan Bowman is a good guy to have coming back, but they've got a pretty good backup in Jet Duffy as well. And given Wells' affinity for quarterbacks who can move a little bit, don't be surprised to see Duffy on the field a little bit more than maybe some might expect. Um you know, or or if or if Duffy even maybe can be that wildcat type player to where he lines up in a slot or lines up in the backfield. Uh, keep an eye on number seven. They have half their production returning on both sides, offense and defense. Texas Tech was 17th in scoring offense last year, 11th in third down conversions, 36 in pass efficiency offense. And I know it was under a different coordinator and a different head coach, but the bottom line is uh, they've, they've got a lot of their offensive production, at least in the passing game, coming back. T.J. Vasher headlines the receivers. Seth Collins was also um, you know, a reliable receiver. So even though they lose Antoine Wesley and Jadion High, Vasher, Collins, uh, Kishon Carter, who's actually a running back, were all guys who um, you know contributed in the passing game. They, uh, they also bring in McLean Maddox, a transfer from Nevada, who I really like, and I think that just looks like your prototypical Texas slot-type receiver. Um, and in the backfield, you know, they're going to go with Tajon Henry, but Armand Shine is a transfer from Utah, grad transfer, and he was their backup last year but did some good things, and he's a physical back, big body. I think that's going to bode well for uh, Matt Wells and his offensive scheme. Defensively, I think they're going to be better than they've been in Lubbock, and a big part of it is Keith Patterson. Uh, he's a he's a, a defensive coordinator that I'm pretty high on. And even though David Gibbs did a pretty good job last year or recently with Texas Tech, kind of bucking that trend of well, Texas Tech is all offense and no defense. David Gibbs got them going in the right direction. They started to recruit a little bit better on the defensive side, and I think Keith Patterson is going to pick up where he left off. He's going to get some pretty good guys to work with. Jordan Brooks, their inside linebacker, is an all Big 12 type guy in the middle. I like their secondary, especially Adrian Fry as a true freshman last year. Uh, dude had, uh, you know, 13 pass breakups, five interceptions, which were, you know, in the top rankings in the country in, in some levels. Wasn't a, an all-over-the-field tackler, but certainly a, a good coverage guy. 
They get Zach McPherson, a transfer from Penn State, who's a talent. Desmond Smith is another corner that they have. Up front, I like Eli Howard. He's kind of that nasty, uh, almost looks like a Jared Allen-type player, the long hair, 6'4", 270. He's going to be a little bit of a bitch of a DN to, to block. So they're going to be good, but I think that you know Texas Tech is still a couple of years away under Matt Wells from really competing, and I think that their schedule kind of uh, – you know, hurts them at least in Big 12 play because they have to play at Oklahoma. They have to play at Baylor. They have to play at Kansas, which, you know, Kansas is not going to be a pushover like most people think, especially with this Texas Tech roster right now. Um, you know, so all the games that are maybe swing games or games that people will look at Texas Tech and say, okay, well, you maybe should be able to win this. They play them on the road, you know, so Kansas, West Virginia, um, you know, even Baylor to an extent, even though we talked about Baylor being pretty good. So I see Texas Tech going four and eight in Matt Wells' first season, two and seven in the Big 12, putting them at seventh in the conference. But um, this is certainly, I, I see good things in Lubbock coming from Matt Wells. And if he could do it out in out at Utah State, I certainly think that he has a potential to do it at Texas Tech, just not this year. Yep, and I'm going to agree with you that I have the Red Raiders at 7th, but I'm going to tip my hand a little bit to show you how top-heavy I think the Big 12 is going to be this year. I have the Red Raiders going 7-5 and five overall, 4-5 and five in the conference. Wow, um, okay. I think that Matt Wells is an upgrade coming in for Cliff Kingsbury, and I really think that offense um, should be remaining in good hands under offensive coordinator David Yost, who has been at Missouri, he's been at Washington State, he's been at Oregon before going to Utah State and being their OC for the last two years with that high-flying, um, high-powered offense. Um, so I think he is definitely going to be someone that Alan Bowman uh, benefits from and vice versa. Bowman completed 69% of his passes last year for 2,600 yards, but only had a 17 to seven touchdown interception ratio. I look for good things for uh, Bowman in his sophomore year. Um, Hopefully he can avoid the uh, injuries um, that he suffered last year. Tech does lose their top two receivers, but I like TJ Vasher returning, had over 650 yards last year, seven touchdowns, and Keyshawn Carter will have a bigger bigger role this year. He is a blazer on that team and could have his name called often in this offense, so I think that uh, he steps up and has a big year for the Red Raiders. The offense also returns four starting offensive linemen and their top three running backs in addition to the transfer that they get in that you mentioned. While neither unit was amongst the best in the Big 12 last year, I think another year of experience never hurts. And I think that this offense could stay um, maybe not as high-flying as what uh, Kingsbury had, but I think it's definitely going to be more balanced. And I think it's going to surprise some in regards to how productive they could be this year defensively is where I think that they open some eyes this year they return six starters on D they do lose their top two sack producers in Colin Hill and Tony Jones but they return Eli Howard and Broderick Washington at linebacker they return their number one and three tacklers and Jordan Brooks and Rico Jeffers I think both of them can compete for all big 12 honors they lose their most talented linebacker and defensive leader of the team in Dakota Allen but I think that's made up for by the fact that they return Brooks and Jeffers this secondary is where I I think it could surprise folks this year. Now they finished 129th last year in passing defense, 
but they returned seven with starting experience, three key contributors, including one of my favorite guys in the Big 12. You mentioned him already, Adrian Fry. Really excited to see how he fo- uh, follows up that stellar freshman year that he had last year. But they also get Demarcus Fields, who had um, 11 pass breakups as well. And then, as you mentioned, they bring in Zach McPherson from Penn State to add more talent to that cornerback group. So I think that the secondary is one that has potential to if not shut down Big 12 opponents, at least keep them at bay. And I think that the Red Raiders surprise uh, this year with a better record than what a lot of people may expect. I have them losing to Oklahoma, um, Baylor, Iowa State, uh, TCU, and Texas, but beating Oklahoma State in a surprise win and then beating the three bottom feeders of the Big 12, in my opinion, Kansas, West Virginia, and Kansas State. Uh, again, right. seven and five overall, four and five in the conference. Okay, yeah, and and again, this is a team that I am not confident on pegging with only four wins. Sure. In fact, I as I look at it now, I'm not going to be as optimistic as you and say seven. However, I could see them flirting with bowl eligibility and and you know possibly even going into that Texas game with a uh, you know with a five and uh, five and six mark, and that win could put him into bowl eligibility, but because it's out in Austin, I don't see him getting it done. So yeah, I'm going to go with four wins, but easily could be five, maybe even six. Like sure. I said, I, I really do like Matt Wells and Yost and Patterson. Um, and thanks for mentioning David Yost's name uh, as offensive coordinator, because I think that he's going to be another one of those hot names that you're going to hear right. from assistant coaches in the next few years. And that third game of the season that they have at Arizona, that should be a fun one to watch if uh, Mike's, yeah. if uh, Kevin Sumlin can have his his offense back to what we know Kevin Sumlin offense can be. Uh, that's out in the desert. That's a, definitely a tough game for the Red Raiders, but that one should be a fun one to watch. So. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the light bulb operator on the scoreboard is going to be working overtime. Yeah, for sure. Well, Chad, so give us number eight. Bip. Yep, number eight. I'm going to go with the Kansas State Wildcats. But again, I I, I think mm. my my win total is going to be a little higher than what people may expect from the Wildcats this year. I have them going five and seven, three and six in the conference. Um, so for me, the Wildcats return um the whole the entire left side of their offensive line. Um, it, although that. They, they lose their, their top receiver to transfer. I really like Dalton Showen, uh, finished with 500 yards, 16.3 yards per catch last year. They look, um, they look in pretty decent shape to me at wide receiver, um, despite the fact that they lose Isaiah Zuber, uh, which he will be missed, but I think that they can kind of make up for it, uh, with uh, guys like Schoen. Skylar Thompson returns at quarterback after a solid, not spectacular season, uh, but I think his dual threat ability uh, really plays well to uh, the new coaching staff and the new regime coming in. Uh, they do lose Alex Barnes, uh, all Big 12 running back, but they get Ball State transfer James Gilbert to come in. Um, and you think Ball State running back, what is it, you know, is there much about him. Uh, he was first team all Mac in 2016, had a little bit of a down year, um, since then, but I think he's someone that could come in and, and contribute. They also get North Carolina transfer Jordan Brown, who was highly touted in high school. So I think that there's, there's some good pieces to like, um, on this offense. I don't think that they're going to be one of the better 
offenses in the Big 12 by any means, especially considering all the offensive firepower that the rest of the conference has. But where I think that Kansas State could surprise a lot in the win column this year is because of that defense. There's lots to like about this uh, defense that finished third in the Big 12 in scoring D and fourth in total D last year. They return every starter on the defensive line, including criminally underrated Reggie Walker, that chappie I know you and I are both big fans of. They also mm-hmm. get sophomore uh, Wyatt Hubert, who combined for 12 sacks. Uh, or I'm sorry, Walker and Hubert uh, both combined for 12 sacks and 21 tackles for loss last year. So that edge rush should be nasty this year again for the Wildcats. The defense would have been even better if uh, Justin Hughes hadn't been uh, hadn't torn his ACL in the spring uh, and returned for them. But they get top tackler Dequan Patton. Uh, to return and help solidify the linebackers. The secondary loses three key players, but returns three guys who started last year. A.J. Parker finished with six pass breakups and two picks and looks to lead this group. I like everything that they have returning on the defensive side of the ball. I think that keeps them in uh, a lot more games than what people might think. And it's never easy to replace a legend, which is what uh, Chris Kleeman will have to do going into Manhattan. But I think that it's a little better of a segue and a little better of a transition than what folks might think. Um, I have them losing their third non-conference game to Mississippi State as they have to travel to Stark Vegas for that one. But I have them beating Baylor, uh, beating Kansas, and beating West Virginia in conference to finish 3-6 and six overall in the Big 12, 5-7 and seven, uh, overall. So they come in at number 8 for me, Chappie. Well, uh, earmuffs, Kansas State fans, I have them at number 10. Yikes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just to let everybody know, the, um, you know, I have all the bottom three teams only winning three games this year. Yep. So it's not like, I mean, I'm really splitting hairs here. And I even have in my notes, I hate to pick Kansas State at number 10. Right. It's so hard for me to pick them last. Um, but, you know, I think about, I heard somebody talking about it on another podcast that Craig Bull, who came over from North Dakota, went to Wyoming, which is a Mountain West school. It took him a few years to work his winning ways at Wyoming. And even still, they weren't really, you know, a BCS buster like they used to call it. They weren't really uh, a Boise State. They, you know, they got respectable. They got to uh, a few bowl games. They didn't make it last year, even though they were bowl eligible. Chris Kleeman now is coaching in the Big 12, and he's going up against Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Christian, um, you know, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, all these teams. And it's going to take him a few years to work this roster. And especially, you know, with injuries and with transfers, I think that this is probably one of the least workable rosters that Kleeman can work with in terms of Big 12 teams. I think that the roster at West Virginia, and I think that the talent even at Kansas um, with the late surge that they've had in recruiting the last couple of years is slightly better than at KSU. Now, my question is on the defense for, for KSU. I like Scotty Hazleton, who they brought over from Wyoming. Speaking of that team, uh, they returned 85% of their production from last year. But um, that number is actually down a little bit since the injury to Justin Hughes. They had trouble in some major categories last year. They, they were 102nd in red zone defense last year. They were 113th in getting to the quarterback. So I like Hubert and Walker as defensive ends. But inside, they're a little bit weak. Um, in the secondary, they need to be better. 
than what they were. They gave up some big plays a year ago. So um, my question is more so on the defensive side because Kleeman, I know, is is going to, you know, he's bringing over a pretty good offensive system. They're going to, you know, continue to work that blue collar. We're going to smash you in the mouth. We're going to have solid quarterback play. We're going to hit you on the pass when it's time to hit you on the pass. Uh, but they need some playmakers at wide receiver. I think that's going to be an Achilles for them on the offensive side. The secondary is going to be an Achilles for them on the defensive side. Um, they've been 66 in recruiting the last four years. So they're, I mean, we know that Kansas State is a junior college, uh, you know, purge team. And they're, they're the type of school that has to get the right fit players. So, you know, I'm not so worried about recruiting. It's more about getting the right guys. And I think in a few years, Chris Kleeman is going to get the right guys. This is really the job for him. And I think that it was a big hire, not only for Kansas State, but I think it was also the right fit for Kleeman. I think we will see him get back to that Bill Snyder type um, you know, atmosphere in, in a few years. But I just don't see it this year. And again, because of you know some of the other factors that we'll get to with West Virginia and Kansas in a couple of minutes here, um, I just splitting hairs here. I, I just can't pick Kansas State to be above those teams. So I have them going three and eight, one and eight in the Big Twelve. I too see them losing on the road out of conference in at Mississippi State, and then I have them losing six in a row in conference. And their only win comes at home against West Virginia on November 16th, sandwiched between Texas and Texas Tech. I have them losing on the road against the Red Raiders and then losing their home finale against Iowa State. So sorry, Wildcat fans, 3-8, and 1-8, eight, and, eight, and that puts you at 10th out of 10 teams in the Big 12 this season. Bip. Yep, and, and one of the things that I like about the Wildcats coming into this year are the close games that they had last year and who they ended up losing to. So they lost by only five to Texas, three to Baylor, one to TCU, and four to Iowa State. So I I like the amount that they have returning, and I like the how close that they played a lot of their opponents last year. So finishing five and seven last year, I don't think it's much of a stretch to expect them to finish with five wins again this year, three wins right. in the conference. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think it, it's going to be a tall order uh, with this roster in the fact that they're probably the most talent deficient potentially coming into the year. Um, but I, I, I like the the thought that uh, there's there's enough carried over from last year's squad um, to, to carry them through to three conference wins. So, but um so, Chappie, that, that's my number eight team. Who did you have coming in at, at uh, eighth in the Big 12? So, at eight, I had West Virginia. So, the Mountaineers making a pretty big fall from last year's uh, season of promise with Will Greer and Dana Holgerson and uh, a pretty good defense, very underrated defense. And now they bring in Neil Brown, who is a good coach, and I think that was a big hire for the Mountaineers, but they lose a lot, a lot on offense and defense, especially to the transfer portal. And, you know, we also saw, you know, so many guys, especially in their secondary leave. So my question is, is Neil Brown cleaning up around here? Is this a is this a addition by subtraction in terms of culture change and a culture shift? And it kind of makes me wonder, what was it like under Dana Holgerson? And as we get into talking about the group of five schools uh, and the conferences like Houston, you know, what's that going to look like down in H-Town? But we'll get more to that in another, t- in another podcast. 
So offensively, no more Greer, uh, no more wide receivers, no more Holgerson, and a good portion of their offensive line is gone too. They were top 10 in pass efficiency offense, scoring offense, and yards per play a year ago. Please do not expect that anywhere close to it, Mountaineer fans. <laughs> uh, starters should still be fairly potent, but it's a question of depth in the passing game and in protection. So they get Austin Kendall, a transfer from Oklahoma. Um, he spent three years there under Lincoln Riley. He's in for the spring. So all signs point to him getting the nod as their starting quarterback this year. But at wide receiver, you know, they lost a couple guys that they really needed. So obviously the graduation, David Sills, Gary Jennings, uh, but Marcus Sims put his name in the transfer portal, which was a big loss. He was their number three receiver from a year ago. Tight end Tevon Wesco. Uh, they do bring back TJ Simmons. Tevin Bush gets moved from running back out into a slot position, which I think is a better fit for him. They were pretty high on Sam James in the spring. Giovanni Haskins is going to be one of the more underrated tight ends and, and could be an all big 12 type tight end before all said and done under uh, under Neil Brown, Troy, where he was at previously had a pretty efficient passing game and they can score points. We know they're also good at protecting the ball. Troy was 11th in the turnover margin a year ago. So if they can hold to that, if they can, you know, get a, a protective year out of Austin Kendall, if he can limit the interceptions, if he can hang out of the football and put it into the places where it needs to go and keep it out of the uh, hands of defenders, then that will obviously bode better for them. But, you know, again, offensive line, it's probably going to be their strength, and that's really just a relative strength. At running back, they've got some talent there. Kennedy McCoy, Letty Brown, Martel Petaway. But is it going to be spreading it too thin? Uh, again, this is a, you know, Neil Brown is going to be a guy who wants to put the ball in the air. And, you know, is he going to get enough balance in the passing game to, to make that run game efficient? So the run game lacked a little bit last year. I think they'll be better this year. But is that just going to be relatively speaking, or is it going to be a better production in terms of you know uh, overall output? Defensively, they gave up some big plays a year ago, 70th in the nation in yards per play on defense. They struggled against the pass, and they struggled in the red zone. Now, defensive coordinator Vic Keening, who follows Brown from Troy, had a top 25 defense a year ago, and really the only weakness that they seemed to have was in pass defense. They were 52nd in the country, which is not a bad number. But, um, you know, this is a, a defense who's going to be better in their back seven. They also they play kind of that three, three, five style defense. And, um, you know, they're they've got some decent linebackers, I think, better in the secondary, although they lost some some players to the transfer portal. So how do they mesh these guys? Are they truly buying into this defensive system right away? And can they? you know, hit the ground running once Big Ten play starts. They were 8-4 and four a year ago. I just don't see them uh, coming anywhere close to that. So I have them going 3-9, and 2-7 and seven in the in the Big 12 with their two wins coming in, in conference at home against Texas Tech and then on the road at Kansas in Week 4. I think that that's, you know, that early matchup favors the road team West Virginia more than the home team Kansas as KU is getting adjusted to the, the new style under Les Miles and getting their new players um, matched up. West Virginia starts off with a pretty tough non-conference slate. They play James Madison, who's really the best team in the FCS. Then they play at Missouri and at home against NC State. I think that the uh, they squeak it out against JMU, two losses in the other non-conference games, and then again, just going 2-7 and seven in Big 12 play. I think that Neil Brown is going to bring some good things to Morgantown, 
But again, this is kind of a year zero for them. I think it's going to take some time to get that culture adapted and shifted. So start looking ahead to spring next year, uh, WVU fans. But this year, not much to write about for your Mountaineers as they they start this change and hopefully for the better. Yep, I'm with you, Chappie. I I, uh, I have West Virginia at my number nine team, um, but at, similar to you, I kind of splitting hairs with my number nine and number ten team. And really, as I was trying to pick wins and losses, I, I kept telling myself West Virginia can't be this bad this year, but. In looking at their roster and everything that they've lost, they potentially could be this bad. And, you know, there's something to be said about cleaning house um, when a new coach comes in. But if you get rid of too much of your talent, uh, you have to wonder how that sets you up for the future. As uh, the same thing was said about Charlie Strong at Texas of how he kept cleaning house there. And we all know how that happened. So... The, the Mountaineers, um, in my opinion, could have lost about as much as any team in the country as they lost their head coach, their quarterback, their top three wide receivers, top two safeties, three offensive linemen, their top tight end, uh, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, and uh, upwards of 10 total guys transferring out. So they only returned three starters on offense and about four on defense. Um, and all of this is coming off a three-game losing streak to end 2018. So they do get some help from the transfer portal, as you mentioned, with Austin Kendall coming in, um, and they also get George Campbell coming in at receiver from from Florida State, former five-star recruit, but hasn't really done a whole lot. We'll see how he how he can um, uh, translate his his potential talent at West Virginia. Going into 2019, West Virginia could see a major shift offensively as they lose just about everyone in the passing game and return uh, their top three running backs. So, wondering how um, you know how how much of a uh, how do they adjust for that? Um, does Neil Brown air it out like he normally likes to, or does he stick with the running backs because they have so much talent returning? So, Kennedy McCoy uh, averaged five and a half yards per carry last year. Martel Petaway averaged six point four. And they combined for 1,400 yards rushing. So that should be the the strength of that team. But is that an offensive fit for what Neil Brown wants to do? Defensively, Giovanni Stewart had four sacks, six and a half tackles for loss. Uh, played linebacker, but is moving to nickelback this year. So that should be an interesting um, conversion to see how he does this year. Josh Norwood and Keith Washington combined for 20 passes, break up, uh, passes broken up and three picks. So the secondary could be a potential strength. Uh, but again, there's not a whole lot else uh, on this defense. Dante Stills impressed as a true freshman and led the team with three sacks. And Vandarius Cowan, a uh, former top 100 recruit that was dismissed from Alabama, will be playing yeah. this year for West Virginia, plays the bandit role, and could surprise for the Mountaineers. As we know, he's got the talent coming out of high school, but we'll see how he can translate that on the field. I have West Virginia finishing 3-9 and nine this year. With them winning um, against James Madison, and I have them beating NC State as well because that's at West Virginia, and I see NC State yeah. losing almost as much as what West Virginia did. Uh, but their lone win that I have coming in conference is going to be their game at Kansas, and then I see them losing eight straight to finish out the season, to finish one and eight yeah. in the conference and be the, my number nine team in the in the conference, Chappie. And I almost went with that to have them losing those last eight, but I just... Neil Brown to me is too good of a coach to go on that big of a skid. So I, and, I, 
I had to look at one team and I thought, okay, after a bye or two weeks after a bye playing Texas Tech, who's kind of a, a rebuilding team as well. I just saw West Virginia at home being almost equal in talent, you know, a, a slight step below Texas Tech. But, you know, again, I just, I don't see Neil Brown being that coach to right. leave that many in a row to end the season. And, right? and I agree. Uh, the biggest thing for me with West Virginia, outside of everything uh, that they lose from last year and the coaching change, is when you look at their schedule, they have pretty much all of their toughest teams at home. Uh, so Texas, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, they only have four conference home games. So then they have at Kansas, which I have them winning, but it was really a toss-up to me. Then they're at Oklahoma, at Baylor, at Kansas State, at TCU. So a lot of the fringe games to where you think maybe they could run with these guys, they're on the road for just about all of those. So schedule as well as deficiency of talent really had me sticking them at number nine. Um, at one and eight in the conference, which leads us to our final team, Chappie. My number 10 team, your number nine. Why don't you lead us into the Kansas Jayhawks? Okay, so with the Kansas Jayhawks, I am not completely on the Les Miles bandwagon. I, you know, I agree with a lot of the national pundits in saying that he's been out of the game for a while and he was at LSU and before that he was at Oklahoma State. Certainly much better resources, much better, uh, you know, places to coach and, and a lot better shots than in Lawrence, Kansas. However, I am a big fan of Puka Williams. And so this is when, when we learned that Puka was going to be back on the team, he's going to miss the opener against um, Indiana state. And then he's going to be playing in the, in the remaining games, you know, provided that everything else goes right. That's a big deal. And they also got one of the top JUCO quarterback transfers in Thomas McVitie, who actually started his career at Pitt. Um, a lot of people are high on him, 6'5", 215, kind of a, an athletic-type quarterback with a good arm. They were bad on offense last year, even with uh, Puka Williams running the football. And I think Williams was a second-team All-Big Ten running back a year ago as a true freshman. That guy is just lightning in a bottle. Um, I, I'm excited about the receivers as well. So Stefan Robinson, Daylon Charlotte, uh, who was originally at Alabama as well. Ezra Naylor comes in from uh, junior college ranks, and he was in for the spring. They just, uh, I mean, they've got guys who are um, going to be able to help them right away, and that's pretty much the way that Kansas has been operating for, for as long as we know. Um, you know, on the offensive line, they bring back three starters from that group. You know, so it wasn't a it wasn't a terrible team under David Beatty. I wouldn't call them a good team or anywhere near good, but they weren't a terrible team. Defensively, uh, the the Jayhawks they bring back fifty six percent of their production from last year, even though they were bottom third in most defensive categories. But they were thirty third in red zone defense, and again, that's a statistic to me that stands out on the defensive side of the ball because if you can keep opponents outside of the end zone, even if you're forcing them to kick field goals, you always have a shot. You know. Um, and, you know, it's you look at some of the, the guys that they have, the secondary jumps out to me, guys like Corian Harris and Hassan defense on at, at corner and what a name to play uh, at corner. And then Bryce yeah, right? Tornaden is one of my one of my favorite safeties in the league. Mike Lee is the other guy at safety there. So really their their back four is, uh, you know, they've got experience. They had production from last year. Tornaden had 91 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss. I uh, even got in the backfield a little bit. So um, three of those, or I'm sorry, all four of those guys were in the top six in tackles 
I'm sorry, top seven in tackles on the team a year ago, which maybe that speaks to how porous their front seven was. But, um, you know, it's still good, you know, good to look at coming in. Um, you know, my question is going to be, what is that front four going to be? Or what's that front three going to be? They're going to play a three, four style defense. Um, but very thin, very inexperienced on that front four. And, um, you know, not, not the production you'd like to see. Sadly for Kansas fans, one of their headliners or one of their best bets for all conference, aside from Puka Williams, is their punter, Kyle Thompson. He's one of the betters in the Big 12. He was 40th in the country in net punting last year, or the team was anyway, I should say. Um, but, uh, you know, special teams should be good. I see them winning three games and winning two of them in the conference. So as I pull up their schedule, I'm sorry, one in conference. So I have them starting off against Indiana State and Coastal Carolina. They go 2-0, and and then they hit a skid, and then their one win comes against their rival Kansas State um, You know, in the Sunflower State showdown on November 2nd, and then they have a bye, and they drop their final three at Okie State, at Iowa State, and home against Baylor. Uh, you know, you look at they have to play West Virginia at home, but because it comes early in the season, I, I think that West Virginia is a little bit better prepared and has a better roster than Kansas does at that point. So that's a loss. Uh, you know, they, you know, they, they get the Kansas state game. Um, but you know, when, when you're splitting hairs with those bottom three teams, I just don't see Kansas is there yet, but don't sleep on Les miles. He's obviously a good coach. And I think that even though he lost, you know, the first couple of guys that he wanted at offensive coordinator, they're bringing in Les Koenig, who was at, um, um, at SMU, he was at UAB, he was at Texas. So the guy's been around, he's coached in some higher profile programs. I think that he will do a respectable job. Um, you know, their, their defensive coordinator is DJ Elliott, who was at Colorado the last two years working under Mac, Mike McIntyre, who is considered to be one of the better defensive minds in the game, uh, you know, at least top 30 or so. So it's, it's not a, it's not a bad staff that they've got going right now, but it is going to take some time. But I think, again, it comes down between them and Kansas State for the bottom two teams. And because they win the head-to-head, I'm going with the Jayhawks at number nine, finishing three and eight, one and eight in the conference. Bip, how do you see them finishing? I have the Jayhawks, as I mentioned, 10th, um, finishing two and 10 overall, 0 and nine in the conference. But I think they're saving grace potentially this year. I could easily see them flipped to number eight, considering the fact that they have both West Virginia and Kansas State at home. And um, I, I really wanted to give Kansas a conference win this year, but I, I think the the transition to less miles will not be as smooth as what folks are hoping for, as they've already thought that the transition to Charlie Weiss and then the transition to David Beatty would be smooth. And we all know what happened there. I think Kansas is just a really, really tough place to win. So they lost three of their top four receivers. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, Dalen Charlotte, uh, Ezra Naylor, and Andrew Parchment uh, represent a, a wide receiver core that could be relatively dangerous this year if if one or two of them tap into their potential. Uh, but also having to replace Peyton Barber um, is not going to be easy. Now, like you mentioned, they get Thomas McFitty, but McFitty was at Pitt then went the Juco route. And although he's ranked as the top Juco uh, pro style quarterback, I'm not sold on him necessarily. He was relegated to special teams duty when he was at Pitt, causing him to want to go the Juco route um, and then transferring into Kansas. 
and we know that Les Miles struggled to develop quarterbacks at LSU, so I, I question how good McVitie can be um, coming into this year. Three offensive linemen return, uh, including their best in Hakeem uh, Adenogy. So the uh, all that said, the Jayhawks will start, continue, and end with Puka Williams this year. Right he, Now, like you mentioned, he misses the first game, but big deal. <laughs> the, yeah. The... Uh, I mean, Williams rushed How are we going to beat the Sycamores? <laughs> <laughs> he rushed for over 1,100 yards last year, seven touchdowns, average seven yards per carry. Um, and the, even their backup, Khalil Herbert, provides pretty good depth with almost yeah. 500 yards and five touchdowns. So this is, as far as Les Miles is concerned, he couldn't have walked into a better situation for what he likes to do, which is play good defense and run the ball. Uh, but defensively, they were they lose just about everyone from their front seven. Um, so that's going to be difficult to do, but, uh, like you, I, I really like their secondary and, and think that that could keep them in some games this year. Uh, Corion Harris, Hassan defense, uh, Bryce, Bryce Tornadin and Mike Lee, I think Tornadin and, um, either defense or Harris could both, um, two of those three could make, uh, first or second, all team, uh, first or second team, all big 12 honors this year, depending on how the season goes, especially Tornadin. He's just a tackling machine there at safety. Yeah. Uh, really enjoy watching him. So, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it, like we mentioned, it's kind of splitting hairs between my two bottom teams, West Virginia and Kansas. I don't see Neil Brown losing eight straight, but I also don't see Les miles losing nine straight, or I'm sorry, 10 straight to lose a season, but that's how I have them pegged based off of um, every other team that they that they have in conference. So unfortunately for Jayhawk fans, I have them as being one of those pesky teams that should yeah. be in a lot of their games this year, and certainly not a team that you're going to want to take lightly uh, based on that secondary. And if Puka Williams goes off in any any given game and you have a bad bounce here and there, lose the turnover battle penalty battle. They'll be right in the thick of things, but uh, two and 10 overall, Oh, and nine in the conference. Let me ask you if, if the transfer portal is not clamped down even halfway, do you see Puka Williams lasting more than this year at Kansas? Or do you think that he might portal up, so to speak? Well, I think that kind of depends on how, how often and um, how much less miles feeds in the ball because, yeah. uh, you know, opportunity could be just as much as just as important to him as far as exposure is concerned. And he could really churn out the yards in Kansas where he is the man. Um, and it was kind of a head scratcher as to why he went to Kansas anyways, being from, I believe, Louisiana. Louisiana. Um, so he's a four star, I think. So yeah. Oh yeah. He, him and, and Harris were, uh, two of the biggest gets in university history. So yeah. I think the fact that they, that he already went out to Kansas, which yeah. what, if you're from Louisiana, what are you doing <laughs> in Kansas? Um, what happened, I, I, man? <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that he's already out there, yeah. you bring up a, a good, an interesting point that if we're playing free agency now, he's about as good as you can get going into yeah. next year. Uh, but I also wonder what his chances of getting a, a hardship waiver would be and if he'd want to sit out that year because he seems like he's going to be a three and out guy. Yep. Well played, sir. That was that was a good answer. Um, and I would agree <laughs> with it. So, all right. Well, just to recap, Bip, for the, for the fans at home, uh, I have six through 10. I have Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas, Kansas State in that order. Who do you have? I have Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas State, West Virginia, Kansas. 
Okay. So now we'll kind of do lightning round. We're going to give our players and coaches of the year honors as we see them in the Big 12 this year. So I'll start off. Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. I don't like to say it, but I don't see it any other way. I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts for Oklahoma simply because he's going to be the quarterback on the top offense. They're going to have great running backs. They're going to have great receiver play, and people are going to look at it and say, well, he's the one that steered the ship. I just don't see any of the other quarterbacks or any other receiver aside from maybe Tylon Wallace, but Oklahoma State's going to have to be in the Big 12 championship for him to upseat Jalen Hurts. I just think that he's going to be the quarterback on the best offense, on the best team in the Big 12. It's going to be easy for him to get that honor. So he's my offensive player of the year in the Big 12. Bit. Yeah, I'm going to go Oklahoma as well, Chappie. But I'm going to go with Kennedy Brooks as my offensive okay. player of the year this year. Now, rushed for over 900 yards, had 12 rushing touchdowns last year, averaged 8.9 yards per carry. I think that uh, although he's going to have to share the load with Trey Sermon. I think this could be a situation to where Brooks outshines him enough and they ride the hot hand and he gets upwards to about 15 to 1700 yards, maybe tops the 20 touchdown mark. And um, as I mentioned before, I, I'm just not sold that Jalen Hurts is going to be in the same statistical categories that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were, so I think that Kennedy Brooks becomes the star this year for the Sooners, not Jalen Hurts, and he takes home the Offensive Player of the Year award. Okay, how about defensive side? Who do you see taking the hardware? I'm going to go Jaquan Bailey, defensive end from Iowa State. Finished with eight sacks, 14 and a half tackles for loss last year, 46 tackles, five passes defended, fumble, uh, forced fumble, for, and a uh, fumble recovery as well. He gets everyone on the defensive line next to and around him returning, most notably Ray Lima. I think he improves his totals this year and is a vital part as to why Iowa State plays for the Big 12 championship game. I see him as going over, uh, getting double-digit sacks, and maybe challenging for over 20 tackles for loss. Okay. I think it's a good pick. I'm going to go with Garrett Wallow as is kind of a, uh, a sleeper pick at defensive player of the year, because I think TCU is going to have the best defense in the conference. Once again, I think that he's got a lot of guys, good guys playing in front of him as well as behind him. And I think Montreal Wilson, who they moved down from safety is going to be an athletic middle linebacker in his gains playing at one of those at that strong safety position, which is really more like an outside linebacker position. So Wallow can move all around the field and we saw it last year. I think that he's that typical Gary Patterson 425 inside type player at linebacker. I think he's going to be a, a tackling machine. And especially if TCU threatens, doesn't play for, but threatens to play for the Big 12 championship, mm -hmm. a big part of it's going to be the, that defense and Garrett Wallow. And when you've got good D linemen in front of you, you're going to be made to be a, a more statistically uh, bright linebacker. And so that's what I see for number 30 for TCU this year. Sure. Uh, Big 12 coach of the year. Who do you got? Well, I'm going to make the folks in Iowa City throw up here, and I'm going to go Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have him winning his third straight Big 12 Coach of the Year award. Um, I think them beating Texas, in my opinion, and playing in the Big 12 championship despite losing his two best offensive players, uh, I think he gives Cyclone fans something to cheer for during the season and hold their breaths about as we get closer to the hiring and firing season uh, towards bowl, towards bowl time. I think he comes away with his third straight big 12 coach of the year award this year, as he has the cyclones improve yet again, uh, in 2019. Personally, I would love to see that. I'm a big Matt Campbell fan, but I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley by default simply because, yeah. uh, you know, if, if any team other than Oklahoma or Texas plays in the big 12 championship, I would give it to that coach, uh, you know, 
hands down. So Gary right. Patterson, I flirted with a little bit. Matt Campbell, I flirted with a little bit. Even Mike Gundy, if they make it to the Big 12 championship, but I just don't see it. I and and certainly I think uh, a 12 and one Oklahoma team looks a lot better than a 10 and three runner up Tom Herman led Texas team. So I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Riley over in Norman. But again, not saying that uh, no other coach will deserve it. I just think that that's going to be a default pick more than anything. Yeah, and I almost went with Riley, uh, but what went away from him, similarly to how he or guys like Nick Saban don't get consideration too often just because been there, done that type of thing. So, uh, But no, I I think if if Oklahoma, Texas play in the Big 12 championship game again, then I think Riley deserves it for sure. Yeah. So assistant coach, I'm going to go with Alex Grinch because I think that you're going to see a big, big improvement on the defensive side for the Sooners, and that's a big reason why I have them finishing the record that they do. I think he's going to make even bigger stars out of guys like Ronnie Perkins and Kenneth Murray. I think that he's going to take that secondary and have people wondering how the hell did they look so bad in 2018 because they look really good in 2019. Uh, Trey Brown, Trey Nor- Norwood, Parnell Motley, uh, Barnes, Patrick Fields, Delarin Turner, Yell, Brendan Radley, Hiles—all those guys, I think, are going to you're going to see a lot of improvement, especially because he is a secondary coach and he's going to put a lot of his emphasis in that back half. And so I, I'm going to give Grinch our Assistant Coach of the Year award. Well, I'm going to go with uh, someone that is going to knock your guy out of consideration, and I'm going to go with Sean Gleason from Oklahoma State. He was my State. number two, uh, so I, I, I like that. <laughs> Replacing Mike Yersich is not going to be easy, but I think he gets the most out of Spencer Sanders, utilizes Tylon Wallace and Shuba Hubbard effectively to a nice turnaround season for the Cowboys, and I think he seals this award with that last week of the season when Oklahoma State upsets rival Oklahoma and makes Alec Grun- Alex Grinch look like that defense stinks, stanks, stunks. Really? So you think you think that they're going to put up, uh, you know, 45-50 on, on OU? I, I think so. I think uh, in, in order in order to beat the Sooners um, in that last game of the season, I don't see any other way other than them putting up 45-plus on the board. Bip, that might have to be our November 30th whiskey game of the night. Um, Absolutely. To watch. That'll be, that'll be fun. So For sure. Um, so Big 12 Freshman of the Year. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody who's on a team that you're high on, and I'm going to go with Jareel Brock, the running back from Iowa State. I think that he's going to need to replace David Montgomery. I think he's going to do a good job. He was highly touted, and he went to Iowa State over some other schools because I think he saw a chance to play right away, and playing behind five returning offensive linemen and playing with Brock Purdy and a consistent group of wide receivers and a good offensive coordinator in Tom Manning, I think it's going to be almost a shoe in that Brock is Big 12 Offensive Freshman of the Year, and he's my freshman of the year. And I almost went with uh, Brock as well, but I couldn't pick between their two highly touted freshman running backs that they have coming in. And I also don't like to tie um, the success of a team on a true freshman running back. Um, so instead I went with, uh, wide receiver CJ Moore from Oklahoma state at six, five with great athleticism and a year to add bulk. Moore's going to be, uh, enjoying his redshirt freshman season as a major part of my expected offensive production improvement from the Cowboys. I think Tylon Wallace keeps the coverage off of him and Spencer Sanders run throw ability opens things up for, for more to make a huge splash in a big way for in Stillwater this year and takes home the uh, Freshman of the Year award. And that's a good pick. I like that one. Um, well, 
Those 10 teams and all their players will begin the journey toward a championship, but if you want a major player in the college football podcast game, always competing for championship status, continue to follow us here on A Bowl Full of Chips. And if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do so. Hit the button or ask the nearest person to show you what to do. It makes getting your chips so much easier. Have any questions for us in the college football world, or do you have info that needs to be added? Send us your stuff, and we'll be sure to retweet all that good stuff out. You can tweet us at champion underscore lit or at BFC BIP. Thank you one more time for using your time wisely and listening to a bowl full of chips. And remember, when it comes to complete college football coverage, BFC brings football closer. On our next podcast, we travel to the Conference of College Football's National Championship, the ACC. Yes, BIP and I will cover the coast and give you our thoughts on all 14 teams that stretch from Boston all the way south to Miami and let you know who poses the biggest threats and which players and coaches will make it one of the more enjoyable conferences to view on Saturdays. Get all that and much, much more next time on A Bowl Full of Chips. It's victory formation. Chappie takes a snap from Bip, takes a knee, and that's all she wrote, folks. BFC wins again. See ya!